Chat listeners, it's Matt. So this week we're doing something a little different because of lead times, vacations, and edit times. We weren't able to edit a normal episode, but we knew this was coming. And so we mentioned it last week, but this week we're going to be dropping one of our Patreon bonus episodes where Will and I talk about some other piece of non-comic Batman media. Specifically, this week is the episode we recorded in the wake of the passing of the great voice actor and the voice of Batman for a generation, Kevin Conroy. So listen, enjoy. If you like it, come on over to patreon.com slash batchat with Matt and Will and sign up. We have a bunch of these episodes. The new one, which should just be dropping for all backers, is going to be an episode that features three episodes of Batman 66. Some pretty wild episodes of Batman 66. And be sure to come back next week for the first part of our three-part coverage of the year-long series Batman Eternal. 52 issues, three episodes, and it is wild. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and enjoy. Hello, Bat Chat patrons and welcome to your november bat chat bonus episode it's matt and will and it is a slightly more somber bat chat bonus episode than usual because tonight i don't think anyone is surprised since we are a batman podcast talking about batman in non-comics media that for this Bonus episode, we are talking Kevin Conroy. Bit of a bit of a melancholy night, and we'll certainly get to this, but uh, the the episode that featured both uh, Conroy and Adam West was uh, was especially sad. Yeah, we added a tag to this past week as we were recording's episode talking about what Kevin Conroy means to Batman and to us, but you can't put enough weight on what kevin conroy has meant to batman as a character simply iconic i don't think there's any other word you can put on it it's strange seeing any other uh animated adaptation and not hearing his voice i mean we'll talk about some other shows where conroy guested with other batman and they're good but they're not Conroy. No. But we're going to start with one with Conroy as the Dark Knight. Uh, we are starting with Perchance to Dream. This is Batman the Animated Series, Season 1, Episode 26, with a story by Lauren Bright and Michael Reeves and a teleplay written by Joe R. Lansdale. It was directed by Boyd Kirkland, and it aired on December 19th of 1992 first. What do you know about Joe R. Lansdale, man? Oh, I love me some Lansdale. Of course uh, you do. Lansdale is a writer of crime novels, weird Western comics. He's got a bibliography as long as your arm. Uh, and most importantly, Bubba Hotep. Yes, Bubba Hotep. Uh, he also wrote a Batman novel. A number of years ago. I can't remember the name. I should have looked it up. Uh, he also wrote some Jonah Hex comics. And some other episodes of Batman the Animated Series. Including the Jonah Hex episode Showdown. If you're out there and you haven't seen Bubba Hotep. Let me just, let me just lay out the, the plot here. So Elvis may or may not have died. Someone who may or may not be Elvis is in a Texas uh, nursing home in his uh, not so golden years. He becomes roommates with, uh, or well, not roommates, but friends with a black man who thinks he's JFK, as played by Ossie Davis. And by the way, uh, uh, Bruce Campbell plays Elvis. Um, and together they fight a mummy. And the thing that sticks out with me uh, most is Ossie Davis, you know, respected actor of, of his generation, says, I'm thinking with sand here uh, because, you know, his uh, his brain was replaced by sand. And uh, it's just a great, delightful film. 80 something minutes gets in, gets out. And it's just lovely. 
it is a bizarre and wonderful delight. Thinking with sand here. This episode is, for all intents and purposes, for the man who has everything. Yep. But with Batman. Yeah. I had seen this years ago, um, and this was my first thought upon rewatching it. Oh, it's for the man who has everything, but with bats. I picked this particular episode because this was Conroy's favorite episode of the series. He said this in interviews. I originally was going to go with I Am the Night, which is a, a real powerful Batman performance, but I figured this was Conroy's favorite, and it's one where he not only plays Bruce, but is also Thomas. Because here it opens with Batman chasing some thugs and falling into a booby trap. And then he wakes up and he's in Wayne Manor and he's not Batman and the Waynes are alive and he's engaged to Selina Kyle and he has everything that a person could want, except he knows it's not real. There might be some episode in the future where we do animated series episodes along with other stuff and somehow the animated series is not the best episode of the night uh tonight's not that night this was really good there's another one of these that i i really like but it this is especially if we're talking kevin conroy this is his pinnacle performance wow the layers he brings to it the pain and the confusion when he's not sure what's going on, the momentary joy when he accepts this world, and then the despair as it shatters, and the rage. Oh, he is... And the resolution uh, when he figures out that it is, uh, it's a dream. Like, I'm, I'm going to get out of this. As, as Hatter says to him, no one has the will to break out of the stream machine, except for Batman. And, you know, in the long run, because we're comparing it to for the man who has everything in a lot of ways, that in the long run is the thing that Batman and Superman have in common more than anything else. They are two people with this will, pledges they have made to make the world better, and they will accept the pain and personal loss that comes with it. That is why in the long run, they are two men who will be at the least allies and at the most friends, but could not, barring, you know, an injustice scenario, be these antagonists that some writers try to make them. Because at their core, they have the same beliefs. It is also stunningly animated. The facial expressions on Bruce as he goes through all this. The designs on the older Waynes. You get some Leslie Tompkins. This makes me happy, some Leslie Tompkins. Oh. Matt will never be not happy about Leslie Tompkins. Especially animated series Leslie Tompkins, voiced by Dr. Pulaski herself, Diane Muldoor. Alfred is a delight in this episode because he's so confused by bruce what seems to be dissociating and him and bruce asking him about his life and him awkwardly basically saying yeah you're kind of a waste of space but you're a nice waste of space uh master wayne you're you're a billionaire playboy um sorry i don't know how much reference you have but do you realize the first the title of the episode and sort of the final line are both Shakespeare references. I'm not as up on my Billy Shakes as I need to be. I certainly recognize the episode title. Uh, what's the last line? The stuff that dreams are made of. Ah, that's right. Is a common misquote of The Tempest. Where the line is, we are such stuff that dreams are made on. But also, the stuff that dreams are made of is the last line of the Maltese Falcon. So that is, in many ways, a multi-layered reference, which I kind of love. And I mean, I understand in some ways why he you couldn't be, because there's only, you know, so much, so many voice actors you can get with these, especially in these days. But I would have loved to have seen Jim Gordon in this episode, too. 
You have seen Jim as a friend of Thomas, maybe? A Jim Corden would have been uh, a better cameo than one of the Gordon cameos we get tonight. But this is just stunningly emotional. And I mean, I, I granted, I think I went out of my way to pick tug at your heartstrings episodes sort of across the board tonight. You bastard. The last one. The last one's just fun. But this you can't do for the man who has everything in any way and not have it be about that. The way Bruce confronts the Mad Hatter, who, by the way, is the villain, the one who got him in the the dream machine. And the Hatter, this sort of Hatter, who's the voice of this reality talking to him and saying, you know, you could have everything and him being like, but it's not real. That matters so much to him that the the reality of his world, he can't accept this fantasy is Batman. That's Batman. I question the Hatter's plot here because uh, what's what's your end goal to keep to keep Batman hooked up long enough so that he starves to death? I, I, I guess is is that how that's supposed to work? I suppose. I mean, it's the same question with the for the man who has everything. I mean, it's you know you're putting them in this thing to get them out of the way. I don't know why if you really want them out of the way, you don't just them well for the man that has everything it was some kind of alien plant right right yeah the black mercy yeah conceivably that could be long enough for the plant to reproduce inside of the the host but uh yeah just a, a machine that just puts somebody to sleep and gives them great dreams uh again what's what's the hatter's end goal there although he says like uh i just i wanted you out of the way right you ruined my life why couldn't i just wanted to give you this I mean, if the Hatter was expressly non-homicidal, then I guess that sort of would explain that he, you know, it's not, I'm not going to kill you. I can't bring myself to murder you. But if you happen to, you know, starve to death out of bliss while you're blissed out, well, okay. But Tetch is is not averse to murder. But also you have to accept you're in the world of Batman, the animated series where you can't have somebody say, I want, I just could kill you. The last, the last week of that dream, where Bruce is like, "I'm, I'm starving. I can't get enough to eat." That would have been dark and really weird. Yeah, I mean, again, that's if his reality reflects the the dream. I mean, it could again, he could just be have been living out his life, and then one day just sort of drops dead. One wonders how long he was in the machine too. That isn't particularly clear. Because, you know, you, I mean, again, there's another uh, corollary. You could have a mask scenario where how long has Batman been away? They ever do uh, any kind of animated adaptation of that? No, there is an episode where he does wind up getting locked up in Arkham, but it's uh, Scarecrow Games. There was uh-huh. never a yeah, Dreams in Darkness, I believe, is the title of that one. I can absolutely see why. Conroy viewed this as his favorite episode and one of his, if not his ultimate standout performance, because it's it's just a great view on what makes Batman Batman. One of two really good views on what makes Batman Batman that we'll see tonight. Also, a great hint before the Hatter is unmasked, because Bruce Wayne is fighting the Batman of this dream. And when he finally unmasks him, it's the Hatter, sort of, because that's the Hatter's avatar in the dream. There's a very operatic version of the Mad Hatter's later sort of tootly toot 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 theme that is playing over that fight. So if you know the themes of the different villains, even if you hadn't put it together before then, you get an additional hint there. Ooh, that's nice. I, I missed that cue. Again, the Shirley Walker's music for this series is just top notch. Shout out to Roddy McDowell's performance as the Mad Hatter. So good. I briefly got him confused with Malcolm McDowell. Different guy. Yes. Malcolm McDowell shows up in another Joe R. Lansdale written episode. He plays Arkady Duval, 
the villain in the Jonah Hex flashback in the episode showdown. I, I want to state for the record that Matt did not look any of that shit up. He just he's got that information rattling around in his brain. Where, by the way, it is also a Rachel Ghoul episode. So you have Malcolm McDowell and David Warner in the same episode. Time after time. Absolutely. I knew you'd get that one. Listen, Batman the Animated Series is not perfect. There are some episodes that are not too great. But on average, it is a much better series than it is not. There are far more good episodes than there are bad ones. And even the worst episode of Batman the Animated Series is better than most other things you're going to run across. We'd have to we'd have to do some kind of crossover episode comparing the worst episodes of the animated series with the worst episodes of of next gen season one, season two, because there, man, there's some real clunkers in there. The worst ones. I mean, there's ones from the, the new Batman Adventures era critters that is often called the worst. There's also the forgotten, which is this heavy handed thing about this guy, stereotypical slovenly big guy who's, you know, kidnapping and uh, using the homeless for slave labor. I think I remember that episode. Isn't that that the one with, uh, isn't it kids that he kidnaps? That's the underdwellers. That's Ah, Fagin esque guy with crocodiles. The sewer King who popped up in the first issue of bat cat since that miniseries is really this weird combination of Batman the Animated Series canon and Tom King's Batman canon. It's very strange. Did that wrap? Yes. I feel like it wrapped. Yes, okay. it did. Finally. At some point, now that you've seen Mask of the Phantasm, you need to read that with the knowledge of Mask of the Phantasm. It works. I think it will work better knowing Mask of the Phantasm, since it's sort of a sequel to Mask of the Phantasm? Uh, Matt, unless we're doing it for a podcast, you can't make me. Oh, yeah, no, that's what I meant. I meant for a podcast. Ah. I'm not expecting you to read Batman Catwoman again without reading it for the podcast. That that would be silly. (laughs) Okay, but I think probably time to wrap this one up. So? It's time to put it on the wheel as a bard. Okay, so we're talking up near the top here. I mean, for the man who has everything is at number four. And if you're going to discount the story, it has to be because, and correct me if I'm wrong, for the man who has everything was first. Yes, the comic for the man who has everything is from the mid 80s. So yeah, let's also be fair. That wasn't an original concept either. This is a long-held riff in speculative fiction. I mean, Simpsons did it, Matt. Simpsons did it. I know. (laughs) I know. And by the way, it's interesting. I saw something recently where it was pointed out that I think I said it when we did that episode. That is the only adaptation of an Alan Moore work that Moore kept his name on. Or that that Moore let them use his name because... It's the only one he approved of that it did his work justice. Here's the thing. I think this winds up above that because as good as George Newbern's performance as Superman is in there, Conroy's performance as Batman is still stronger. If it's above for the man who has everything, it's only by a hair. By the barest of margins yes because story-wise i i mean it's got it's got a couple of weak spots in that selena kyle doesn't do a whole lot and there's not the same emotional hook you have where cal is saying to the son that in his mind he has seen grow up and he says you don't exist right that's true I know, I know, right? You're right. I think you might be right. I think that actually, that hook, if there had been a scene where Bruce had to face down his parents and really deal with the emotional impact of that, yeah, I think you're right. I think this, for the man who has everything, is a hair above this. 
So I think mad out of something. Yeah. Yeah. I think this, no, because you're right. That, that gets you right in the, the gut. This one is powerful, but it doesn't have that. So our second episode of the night is a matter of family. This is the Batman season four, episode one written by Michael Jelinek, directed by Brandon Vietti, with an air date of September 23rd, 2006. Have you ever seen an episode of The Batman before? Uh, Not unless we have covered it, so that means no. This is the series that was in between Batman the Animated Series slash New Batman Adventures and Brave and the Bold. This is sort of the not the most forgotten animated Batman series. That's probably Beware the Batman. But this one does not get the love that either of those other series gets. And you're seeing this pretty deep into the series. It's season four. It has picked up by then. I can understand if you watch the first couple seasons, the Batman is not great. It takes time to get to a decent place. And it's still not never as quite as strong as Batman the Animated Series or Brave and the Bold. You know, you mentioned this being pretty deep in the run. This is basically the origin story for Robin. Yes. This seems really late to be doing that story. The first two seasons were really set to have a year one sort of vibe. So we are very early in Bruce's career, and it is also a series that does not introduce Jim Gordon until the end of season two. There are completely different police characters in the first two seasons, original characters. And you're seeing Batman's first encounter with most of the villains, as opposed to Batman the Animated Series that often kind of jumps in in media res on joker and penguin and some of the other big bads i guess i was joe uh, i was going based on the the title sequence which is very much robin and batgirl batgirl is introduced first in this series batgirl is introduced at the beginning of season three the first episode so you get a season of batgirl before you get robin interesting choice but uh Jim Gordon is voiced by one of my a favorite of mine, the X-Files, Mitch Pileggi, better known as assistant director Skinner. Does a, a good job in that. This is a much lighter touch in most cases than Batman the Animated Series. This is, and I might I'm 99% sure I'm correct on this. I'd have to go back and rewatch those first couple seasons, which are rough. This is the closest you get to a mobster story in the Batman. And they could not help themselves but make the mobsters a little bit goofy. Yes, they're circus performer mobsters. Because this was geared for a younger a younger skewed audience. You should see there are some really weird designs. Like Joker is a tumbler clown. Like his costume is like a purple straight jacket and he wears no shoes and he's very tumbly. Riddler is super goth. Meanwhile, there is a there's no Two Face in the Batman, but they give a similar arc to one of the police characters, an, an original character named Ethan Bennett, who was a friend of Bruce Wayne's as a kid, who winds up becoming Clayface or another original Clayface. Boo! You get the you know friend of you know the the villain that Bruce is trying to redeem arc in Clayface. A little bit of Clayface, a little bit of Two-Face, a little bit of Hush, a little of this, a little of that. By the way, we this episode was selected because this is the episode where Kevin Conroy guests in the Batman. He is the voice of John Grayson, Dick's father, and is playing opposite Tony Zuko, you know, the guy responsible for killing the Graysons, who is voiced by Mark Hamill. Of course. And um, in the first of two interesting pairings, we'll get to those two tonight. Aside from the goofy mobsters, I actually kind of like the touch they did here with the Robin story. We made John Grayson the head of the circus, right? So when uh, when Zuko comes for to start his protection racket, 
uh, it's Grayson who turns him down. And so it's Grayson, the one who directly feels uh, or pays rather the price for, uh, for not giving into the racket. And Zuko is one of four former circus performer brothers who now run a protection racket. A strongman, a lion tamer, a juggler, and Zuko himself was the knife thrower. You didn't have to do that, guys. You really didn't have to. No, it is kind of a hat and a hat. But fun, the, the strongman, the only one of the other three brothers who gets a spoken line, is voiced by voice acting legend Maurice LaMarche. (laughs) Always good to see Mo LaMarche pop up anywhere, whether he is doing Orson Welles in any number of performances or Morbo, the news monster on Futurama. The show that won't die. Show that will not die. And while you add that extra weird wrinkle with the Zuko's being circus performers outside of that. This is a pretty straight adaptation of the origin of Robin. There's not any other real changes to it. Circus performers murdered. Bruce takes him in. It plays as it does in any of the versions we have read in the comic Four at this point, I think. (laughs) But yeah, it's, um, probably owing to the the format you know you got 22 minutes to tell the story it's it's really tight and i can respect it for that now batman the animated series did this in a two-parter robin's reckoning but that is flashing backwards and forwards between the initial the origin of robin and robin dick finding zuko as a 20 something so it's got more story to it but this one, this works pretty well. I mean, there's a there's a couple of like neat little bits of detective work of Bruce, you know, hunting Zuko and putting two and two together. This is not a heavy show. This is not a show where there is a lot of deep Batman detective work. This is much more of an action show than Batman the Animated Series, but is not as goofy and broad and 66 as brave and the bold usually is not on the episode we're going to talk about next but every other episode of brave and the bold except for that one and it probably feels less out of place for this to do something more serious than perhaps that particular brave and the bold episode did yeah i mean that one is absolutely yeah we'll get there we'll get there we'll get there in a, in a few minutes Conroy doesn't get a ton of time in this episode because, you know, Robin's dad's got to die towards the beginning of the episode. Got to kill him off. But, you know, he does a good job in that, you know, being the loving father, which is not the thing he usually gets to do when he's in a Batman cartoon where he's often Batman and thus doesn't get to show those sort of warm emotions on his sleeve as John Grayson does here. And boy, they get you because they give the Graysons, you know, one tender moment right before the, they're going out in the trapeze and y'all know what's coming. It's like, yep. Oh, it, it's, this is one of the only things more Chekhov's gun than Harvey Dent walking into that courtroom with Maroney. <laughs> it, it's the Waynes walking down the alley and the Graysons getting up on the trapeze together at that point. None of these those three things ever end well. No, no. Or, uh, or Robin going to confront the Joker. Yeah. Oh, Jason. Jason, Jason, Jason. The animation style here is good, but it is, again, broader than Batman the Animated Series. It doesn't have that weird timelessness. And I don't say weird in a bad way, but just unusual timelessness that you can never quite place where Batman the Animated Series takes place, which I don't think we're talking about it, but boy, Selena Kyle's dress in that episode is straight out of a screwball comedy of the 30s and 40s. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I would say similarly, the Batman's butt rock soundtrack oh. kind of dates that. Yes, yes. The, the, the Batman 
the first and second season theme was written by the edge of you two yeah yeah you just making shit up man <laughs> oh no this by this point you've got a butt rock version of the 66 theme that starts and then turns into something else it is a very very of its early aughtsness mid-aughts incredible you didn't believe me huh no i still don't <laughs> you lying motherfucker oh yeah I, I went in i put that on every place in the internet just for the bit i can commit to a bit too <laughs> i thought bono would be too much but the edge that one this is a perfectly fine cartoon absolutely I don't think there's much more to say about it because we've talked about how many different versions of the origin of Robin at this point. That means it's time to put it on the wheel of the bard. Uh, middle? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're up at 17 now. So I'm thinking eight ish, nine ish, 10 ish. I think 11. I think out of the past, that episode of Batman beyond where, Talia shows up and Bruce is offered the Fustian bargain of the Lazarus pit is probably better. But I think this is probably above Holiday Nights, the new Batman Adventures episode below that, which is, again, fine, but is not as as good. And especially when in a couple weeks we do the comic that inspired Holiday Nights that was adapted to the screen, you'll see what they cut out of it that may, would have made it a stronger episode in general. Uh, the coffee scene, right? The No, there's, a, there's another short. There's a complete other short that they oh. cut. Oh, okay. That has one of those Batman the Animated Series heart-wrenching villain endings. That I, I love. Well, I look forward to it. Yes, that will be part of this year's Christmas episode of Bat Chat, along with a classic Golden Age story and Lee Bermejo's Batman Noel, another take on a Christmas carol with Batman, which I wanted to do right after we did, or right-ish after we did the Halloween-themed version of that. Ooh, ooh, ooh. And, and, and since I know stuff, too, your November, or excuse me, your December uh, Patreon bonus is going to be Batman Returns. Yes, indeed. We are going to Batman Returns Town. Classic <laughs> Christmas movie, Batman Returns. Which I sadly just missed because I didn't realize it was happening until the day of and didn't get a ticket. A big screen showing of Batman Returns. Oh, I would have loved to have seen that again on the big screen. Well, look, I, I tried to find tickets for Glass Onion. And I got nothing showing in my area. So fuck oh, you. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. You should be sorry. Our third episode of the night is Chill of the Night. This is Batman, the Brave and the Bold, season two, episode 11, written by Paul Dini, directed by Michael Chang, with an original air date of April 19th, 2010. So first and foremost, what a friggin' voice cast on this episode. Because on top of Diedrich Bader's wonderfully joyful, usually wonderfully joyful performance as Batman, you get Kevin Conroy as the Phantom Stranger, Mark Hamill as the Spectre, Adam West as Thomas Wayne, and Julie Newmar as Martha Wayne. Oh, and Richard Mall of Night Court and Batman the Animated Series fame as Lou Moxon, and for, I think, one or two, as Two-Face. <laughs> this is by far the single most dour episode of Batman the Brave and the Bold. There are other ones that are, you know, dramatic, you know, world-ending, but those are, like, high superhero drama. This is a serious episode. This one feels would have felt much more at home in Justice League than it does in Brave and the Bold. But as I'm watching it, 
and the, the little kind of detours they take, I almost wish like you guys shouldn't have tried to do this. This does not really work here because of the series. I just it's too serious. And then where they go, especially in like the ending and the decisions they make with chill, I'm just like not the damage you do to your format, but like the detour wasn't worth where we eventually wound up. I never thought about it that I've never, I mean, Raven the bold is such a strange beast in general that, I mean, it it is a strange episode of Raven the bold, but I think it's generally a pretty well-written script. I think the, the, I don't think it's a bad episode i'm sure you if you had knew who you if you didn't know who was writing it going in i think you probably figured it out from the cold open oh no oh no is it once again the writer's barely disguised fetish paul dini oh yeah jesus christ i i said it before when i was running on the credits but yeah this is a dini i'm sorry i tuned out (laughs) of course in the cold open where it's a different you know hero who's teaming up with Batman in the main episode, you get Zatanna. Jesus Christ. Of course, you get Zatanna. What is wrong with that motherfucker? He loves Zatanna. Fighting This is what happens when you grow up reading comics and spanking it to him. And, And he's... They're confronting Abracadabra, which is an odd choice because Kadabra's not a magical villain. He's a guy from the future who uses tech and it's Sagan's law. You know, any, no, Arthur C. Clarke, excuse me. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. So that's what Abracadabra does. He just has real high tech. And here they're just playing him as a wizard because, you know, his name is Abracadabra. I mean, eventually he does get real magic when he sells his soul to Neuron, but that's a whole thing. (laughs) Something else you're just making up. (laughs) we'll get to underworld unleashed trust me we'll get there i i will say it i am happy that when the waynes you know we get the flashback to the waynes murder we don't see the damn pearls explode all over the place like no they avoided the pearls and personal growth yep and this sort of contradicts that other episode of brave and the bold that you really hated (laughs) all the way down at 17 yep they change that because it's it's you know Bruce is actually excited to come out of the movie and things so that's that that's good. For, we haven't actually talked about the plot or given details. This is basically the Spectre and the Phantom Stranger placing a bet on what will happen when Batman confronts the man who killed his parents. Will he uh, stand for justice or will he give in to vengeance? With the Stranger believing in justice and the Spectre. Who is the angel of vengeance? Obviously, going with vengeance. Really reminiscent of the story of Job, you know, where uh, uh, God and Satan are are almost kind of making a bet over what Job is going to do. Yeah, uh, put putting putting this poor guy through a ton of shit for I don't know shits and giggles for them. Big big Job vibes here for Batman. Yeah, and each of them gives him a little glimpse of the past. We get that story, the uh, the first Batman, basically, with Thomas in a Batman costume standing up to Lou Moxon at a party. Only now Bruce is there sort of by his side as the Phantom Stranger showing him why his parents were targeted and showing what a noble man Thomas was, while the Spectre showing him Joe Chill being contracted by Moxon. And just showing him that there was no justice that night. And then you get, we haven't done, we saw it in uh, Untold Legend of the Batman, but we haven't done the secret origin of Batman yet. So we haven't read the original story where Batman confronts Chill. But we get that basically here too, where he confronts Chill on his own, unmasks. And then Chill runs out to a bunch of criminals like, hey, you got to help me. I accidentally created Batman and they don't take that well. You're you're leaving out one of the overwritten complications that I don't like. 
Joe Chill, removed from his days as low-level enforcer, is now an arms dealer, and he's selling this super-secret sonic weapon to all of the criminals in Gotham who just happen to be at the spot where uh, where Batman comes to confront him. So you've got this really powerful moment that is then immediately undercut by the entire rogues gallery standing out in this uh, in this warehouse as matt just said we're chill to run out and say help me help me uh Fr- frankenstein's monster is finally after me and it's just ugh, i didn't like it i didn't like it matt in the original version he just runs out and tells three of his goons and they're like wait the guy who sent me up the river the guy who sent my brother up the river and then they just shoot him and there, Chill is not a an arms dealer, but a guy who arranges transportation for criminals on the lam to get out of Gotham. I don't want Joe Chill to be anywhere in life. <laughs> I want him to still be sad and empathetic and, and, and maybe always wondering, are they going to find out that I'm the person who killed the Waynes? There is at least one version of Joe Chill where that is the story. Uh, there's Good. an animated... Uh, New a, a Gotham Adventures issue, I think, or a Batman Adventures Volume Two story, where you see Batman finally confront Chill in the classic DCAU continuity, and that's that story. The murder has to be one of just Gotham's just infamous crimes, and assuming it goes unsolved, for Batman to finally crack the case, you know, thirty years later, like this guy should be a mess. Yes, I can I can absolutely see where you're coming from on that one. This is also, by the way, one of maybe I can only think of three. There might be one more episode of Brave and the Bold where you see Batman without his mask. He is in costume because that that's not what the series is about. This series is is big widescreen batman fun adventure so it's not about bruce wayne yeah bruce wayne doesn't have many team-ups right the only other ones are the one that we did before where you see young bruce and an episode that is a flash forward where you see bruce retire and marry selena and have a kid and so there you see old retired batman helena damien they they go with a, a son Ah, it's a take on the old imaginary stories from the silver mid silver age, the Batman two and Robin two with Dick as Batman and a Bruce Wayne Jr. But I'm pretty sure they actually call him Damien in that episode. But it's been a long time since I've seen that. one. This one does a, a lot of philosophizing, a lot of discussion of vengeance versus justice. Which, again, for Brave and the Bold is way heavier than you usually get for a series that has numerous episodes set in Gorilla City. But if you're going to have that kind of philosophizing, best that it come from Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy. Yes. They do a great job playing off each other as Spectre and Phantom Stranger. And Adam West is so his most Adam Westy. As Thomas Wayne, he calls Batman chum. Nobody messes with Adam Wee. I really, really loved the line uh, from the Spectre. Like, there's something about destiny. It's like, it is your destiny. Like, to, to, to write that as a line for Mark Hamill, it's like, that's good work. Okay, so I think... That might be it because we are we're going to run along on this one because we're covering more episodes than we normally do anyway. So time to put it on the wee little bird. You are not going to let this one go high. I mean, I don't think it would be in the top like five, but you're going to want this down near the bottom, aren't you? Not near the bottom. I just. I mean, it's way better than the other Brave and the Bold that we did. Yeah, yeah, that, that's down at 17. Uh, how do you feel in relation to Scooby-Doo and Batman? That is much more in the flavor of Brave and the Bold. Clearly, because you're working with uh, basically a talking dog. 
what about in between there and New Frontier? Because again, New Frontier, great comic, great concept, minimal Batman, and not a great Batman performance in that one. Yeah, I'm good with that. Okay. Our fourth and sort of final full-length cartoon of the night is Epilogue. This is Justice League Unlimited Season 2, Episode 13. The story by Bruce Timm and Dwayne McDuffie with a teleplay by McDuffie, directed by Dan Reba with an air date of July 23rd, 2005. So, as if I couldn't have my heart wrenched enough talking about Kevin Conroy tonight, and that Adam West thing is like, oh right, this is written by Dwayne McDuffie. Because I can't see another brilliant creative person who was taken from us way too young. I picked this one for two reasons. One, because it has a wonderful thesis on what makes Batman Batman. And two, because it's set a little further down the timeline than even Batman Beyond. It sort of doubles as a Batman Beyond and a Justice League. So I'm able to get two birds with one stone on that one without doing five episodes. This was sort of the wrap-up of some of the stuff from Batman Beyond and also an epilogue to the events of the first two seasons of Justice League that was this slow build that involving a, a Project Cadmus arc that was really wrapped up in the previous episode. And this is Terry McGinnis learning some stuff about his own background that he did not know. And we get to see him play off of Amanda Waller, who I friggin' love Amanda Waller as a character. And CCH Pounder, oh, was so good as that character. Absolutely captures Amanda Waller. There is a lot going on in this episode. Yes. Have you watched JLU? Uh, not aside from the, for the man who has everything. Okay. So that might, you, you, without having any of the frame of reference for what was going on with Waller and what had happened with Cadmus, there might be some, some gaps. There are obviously some gaps there. Because without understanding all the stuff that Cadmus was doing, and without having seen all of Batman Beyond, because there's also a line about what Joker did to Tim Drake that would go completely over your head if you haven't seen Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. Well, I did trust that to be very bad, whatever it was. (laughs) Oh, was it ever. There are two particular moments in this episode that I think are really powerful moment well one that is really powerful and one that just delights me every time i see it the the latter being at the very end of the episode where terry is back at the manor and we're, we're 15 years beyond batman beyond the series so terry is pushing 30 and bruce is decrepit but terry's at the manor bruce comes in and you're late i made you soup it's cold now he's just the world's worst Alfred Bruce is not good at the Alfred thing like at all there is an extended flashback to the Justice League fighting the Royal Flush Gang and this is the Royal Flush Gang of Justice League who we met at the end of season 2 of Justice League before it became Justice League Unlimited after and with the telepath telekinetic ace and it says everything you need to about what makes batman great it's another one of those moments that works for me like the nobody does because it shows batman's compassion it shows that batman is unfailing but is not uncaring and that is what a bad ad- a bad version or a bad adaptation of Batman forgets because you get this thing where Ace, who is this child, she's a, a teenager and a powerful psychic who is experimented on, is dying. And her powers are going to go 
and she's going to wipe out every sentient being in a city block, just fry their brains when she dies. And Waller is given the League the weapon they need to shut her down, but it will kill her before she would die naturally and would blow up. And Batman takes it. And let's be honest, if you know Batman, you know he's not going to do it. But what he does is he goes to Ace and he talks to her and he agrees to be there and to hold her hand as she dies. And not only is it a powerful statement about Batman, but it shows the power that Kevin Conroy can deliver in so little dialogue. He has only a handful of lines with Ace, but every word is delivered with such quiet power and dignity and empathy. It's what made Conroy great. Absolutely. I think I had seen this scene you know, over the last week or so, or at least I had seen stills of it. So I knew what was coming uh, when it came up in the episode. My only, I think, real substantive complaint is that I wish this episode had been more focused on that emotion. Why don't you build the plane out of the black box? Like if we had an episode here that just tapped into that story for 20 minutes, it would have been more, more worth my time. And I absolutely agree that I'm missing a lot of the context here, but 20 minutes of just focusing, if not on that, then the same kind of emotions as that. Because what we get in this episode is a lot of old Amanda Waller, an Amanda Waller who's strangely like quoting scripture and God. And that was weird in character for the comic book version of Waller. Oh, okay. Fair enough. But uh, I, I don't know. Most of this episode did not hold my interest, probably it, because of all the reasons that you pointed out. Yeah, I think that I might not have. I wanted to do it because of that, because of that core moment and Conroy's performance and what it says about Batman. This one is an unfortunate case of when you have seen all of the stuff to give it context, it will probably shoot up in your estimation and thus its probable rank on the board considerably. But it's what was, was something else where we talked about it. Well, it was the uh, the Batman Beyond comic where you hadn't seen any of the uh, episodes uh. before we did that. And I was like, oh, why is this so low? It's like, oh, right, because I hadn't because you hadn't <laughs> seen any of the show and you didn't get where they were coming from. It's like, oh, yeah. I will say something that's not going to get better upon uh, reading or viewing other stuff. Uh, the Terry McGinnis voice acting here, very flat, very flat. He's very angry in this episode. And that's it. There's no, angry. there's no range. There's no, no, nothing else going on here. The, the final moment where he's, you know, like my old man is sweet. The, the, the only time you get any range is at the end of the episode after he's talked to Waller. But aside from that, yeah, he's pretty, pretty pissed the entire episode. But I, I just I love Conroy's old Bruce. Again, he does this great job of, of of giving the impression of age when he's playing old Bruce without it's sounding like this. And it's only, let's say, what, 10 years after animated series, give or take? No, no. No. This, at this point is 45 years after no 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 no. i mean like oh in actual real oh, years yeah yeah this would have been oh this was oh five and animated series was 92 i think new batman adventures was 10 years before an animated series was like 12 and 13 years before so yeah that that does take work uh yeah our, obviously our voices do age but they don't age that much in 10 years no. Yeah, I'm, I I think I might have done this one a disservice with you just because it, it hits me because I get everything that they are doing. It's, it's 50 years. Oh, it can't be. This was 65 years from now. At, they said the Chiron at the beginning. So Batman Beyond is 50 years from now. And this is 15 years after that. So, yeah. Want to make sure I've got the notes right. Also, but uh, again, this one might be 
a, a super nerd reference. Did you get what they were doing at the very end of the episode when you see Terry go out and zoom past the GCPD sky hover car? Uh, no. That is the same basic shot as the beginning of the first episode of Batman the Animated Series on Leather Wings. Except ah. it's Man Bat zooming by the blimp there with the same dialogue. This is that, but it's Terry zooming past the futuristic cover car. I will also point out that uh, 65 years in the future, as of whenever this episode aired, uh, robot vacuum cleaners were like wild, crazy tech. <laughs> yes. Nobody was predicting the Roomba. Nope. That was that was something for the, the for the far off future. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a uh, I love this episode, but I think, again, I have a, a particular frame of reference. Also, only other appearance in animated canon of the Phantasm. There, there's tie in material where the Phantasm appears comics. But this is the only time where you actually see the Phantasm on screen outside the movie. Oh, 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 this this is the part that I, I really didn't like about this episode. I don't believe for a second. And wait, are is this the original Phantasm? Or judging by the the design, I thought that this was Barbara Gordon. No, that's Andrea. Oh, okay, that's just okay, Andrea. Gotcha. It looked a lot like Barbara Gordon. There is a similar design to Commissioner Barb. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I, I thought I'll, that you I'll just back off that ledge. Okay. See, I thought you were just weirded out by Batgirl appearing in those the Batman credits before Robin, which I know is is weird. But no, yeah, no, no, that is not Babs. That is Andrea, an aged Andrea. Okay, okay. I'm okay with that then. Because I was like, there'd be no way that Barbara would even consider killing innocent people. Oh, hell no. And we also get the movie that young Terry and his parents were leaving was The Grey Ghost Strikes, which is, again, a lovely little nod to Batman the Animated Series. Because this episode was produced before they knew JLU was going to get a third season. This was produced to be the culmination of that entire universe of Batman Whoa. the Animated Series, Superman, Justice League, Batman Beyond. That's why there's elements from a little bit of everything in here. Because they didn't know if they were ever going to get to say another word in that universe. This is kind of like the opposite of the uh, series finale of Enterprise. Oh, yeah. It was all holodeck. <laughs> and that one episode of Next Gen. Okay, but we're doing the Star Trek tangent, so uh, <laughs> let's let's swing back. Uh, that means it's time to put epilogue on the wee little bard. Give me a first bit. Mm. Well, you have you have talked me more into this. I'd say right under chill of the night. Oh no. It's gotta uh, be higher than that. Uh, uh, no, I am not putting this that low. Uh, is, I like chill of the night better. I am rarely like I see, we gotta find a middle ground because I was looking up at like eight. Cause I, I just that whole thing with Ace is so deeply Batman. I agree, but that's like three minutes out of 22. And we spent so much time talking about clones and weird stuff that, again, I didn't like or have the proper context for. I, I, I Hey, j just like Super Heavy, right? Just like Super Heavy, if we take out that one really exemplary comic, we don't have a great, great story. You take out that one bit, you don't have an all-timer. Again, true, but you have a better thing that I feel like you're giving it credit for. Because, But again, you don't have the context. You know how you were willing to put Mask of the Phantasm at number one if we would eventually revisit the Batman versus Mask of the Phantasm? Yeah. I'm willing to put this at number 13, below Holiday Nights. If once you have a little more frame of reference for the Justice League stuff, we look at it again. Okay, that's absolutely fair. You are a scholar and a gentleman. Now, this this last one, I don't even know if it winds up 
we'll, we'll even wind up putting it on the board because it is literally a two minute short. But I just wanted to do it because after all that seriousness, I just wanted to do something fun. Uh, this is Good Cop, Bat Cop. This is the Justice League Action Shorts, Episode 4, written by Jim Krieg with no credited director and an air date of July 6th, 2017. Justice League Action is one of the great tragedies of DC animation. This was conceived as a series of 15-minute shorts in that the current Cartoon Network style, the, you know... Teen Titans Go, Steven Universe, two 15-minute things that can form a half an hour. And it was meant to be an action cartoon. Only by the time they were done producing it, Cartoon Network had lost all interest in doing an action cartoon. Hmm. So they burned off the entire series at 7 a.m. on Saturday mornings. They also did a bunch of these accompanying two-minute shorts, you know, that would have fit in commercial breaks and things for other shows to talk about the series. And they never aired them and they just kind of put them on YouTube and let them be. This is one of the best of those two minute shorts. The best is one where the entire voice cast of the episode is Mark Hamill. (laughs) The Joker and the trickster kidnap Mark Hamill and are stopped by Swamp Thing. Wait, 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 wait. Time out. The Joker kidnaps Mark Hamill. Along with the trickster, who is also voiced by Mark Hamill, and stopped by Swamp Thing, who is voiced by Mark Hamill. The entire episode is one guy. So so Mark Hamill exists in this universe? As an actor, yes. Famous for Star Wars. Great. That Love is a freaking delight of a little two minutes. But this one is... Just, it's basically Batman and Superman have Deadshot and they need to interrogate him. And gosh darn it, Superman wants to be bad cop this time. And he's so bad at it. And Batman being good cop is so disquieting. Coffee. Wow, is it poison? Like Deadshot, just voiced by Christian Slater, freaking out. Because he can't quite figure out why Batman is, you know, showing him his teeth and why he's offering him a donut and coffee. Now, what Star Trek connection does Christian Slater have, Matt? Oh, he was an ensign in one of the the original series movies. Uh-huh. It's not motion picture. It's not con. Is it Undiscovered Country? Indeed it is. Ah, and on the Excelsior. Yes. Okay. I, I, I thought so. I was like, in my own head, I was like, wait, like, because there's always like, the actors, you know, like, there's somebody else and they pop up. In a, I was like, there's a bunch of those in Search for Spock, but no, it's not Search for Spock. I also had to think of the age that Christian Slater had to be old enough to be not a kid. So it had to be a little bit later on the spectrum. Yeah, this was, uh, this was really cute. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was two minutes and freely available on the internet. What's there to complain? Conroy does a good job of, you know, just delivering those those lines when he's tr- being nice to Deadshot. And it is honestly disquieting. It is a really like, why are you doing that? It just doesn't seem right. Donut? It's chocolate. I don't think we're, I don't think this is getting ranked on the big board. This is something I wanted a little board. I just wanted to call this out because a lot of people haven't seen Justice League action, let alone have seen the Justice League action shorts. Google told me that Justice League action was available on Hulu. I don't know if that's a lie or not. It used to be. I think it's on Max now. Uh, that that would make sense, being the home of DC animation. Um, yeah, the uh, the little board is never going to come out right because we might rank one thing and we might rank three things or four things. So. I'm okay with not putting this on, but uh, God knows uh, we have to keep the the big board running in uh, divisible by three. Because yeah. if we don't, that the thing's just going to fall apart. That way lies madness. Yes, exactly. No, Justice League action is oh it. 
it's something that I wish had had more time to really do what it wanted because it was it was a lighter show than Justice League was. It was more brave and the boldy than Justice League, but it was not completely comedy. It wasn't Teen Titans Go either. And the only like main transplants from the traditional DC animated universe were Conroy and Hamill. But there were, uh, I'm trying to remember who else was in there. If you look at the cast, there was, uh, it had a great selection of voice actors and at least one that is unfortunate the more that you've learned about them as a human being. Although oddly appropriate to have James Woods as Lex Luthor. Mm. Yeah, but he James Luthor would absolutely vote along James Woods' lines. I mean, yeah, if you if you, when you get the chance, you know, you look at it. Uh, one thing that was fun is that Brent Spiner, who voices Joker in a few places, voiced the Riddler on action. So that was there's a couple of really good Batman and jo- there's an episode of Joker and. Luthor, that's a lot of fun. There's an episode of with Riddler and Joker. Uh, there is the, one thing that is strange for a generally a kids' cartoon to have John Constantine, and I as they pronounced it on the show, I will pronounce it that way here. Constantine is an odd choice for a character to have on a cartoon that is absolutely geared for you know the eight to twelve range. But, meh. But I think that's probably it for the night. Because um, as I said, we're not going to rank this. But if you haven't, check out Justice League Action. Either those shorts that are available free online or the series itself on HBO Max if you have it. Because it's fun. But yeah, uh, that's it for the night. Um, thank you, as ever, for backing us on Patreon. And we'll be back in December with Batman Returns. As always, you guys are the real heroes. Yep. And we'll talk to you next month. Later, everybody.